folks live once again in greenwood bonjour shalom what's up and welcome back to the next episode of how you living number 59 live in effect july 2018 life in trump world continues indeed we stay woke till we're dead and uh, better woke than dead (laughs) And better spoke than silent, because yeah. that's the point of a podcast. Indeed. Uh, how you doing this week, Chaz? You know, I'm doing all right. Uh, recently, I just showed Mikkel that I set up my Google Home. Uh, when I say, uh, how you living or how you living, uh, it'll start playing an episode of our podcast. So, you know, if you have an Alexa yeah. or a Google Home, train, you can do that too. Train it. Train it to know how you living. It was pretty cool. It read the episode title and then started playing. I was uh, rather impressed with uh, Chaz's scary Google robot assistant. (laughs) Uh, But we are here once again, folks, in Greenwood to bring you the show from the Chaz Tower in the Million Dollar Studios. And we always like to start this with a look back at the episodes we've already crossed, that we've already done, the things we've already talked about, and look at how they have evolved or stayed the same or whatever in a little segment we call Callbacks. Oh, yeah. All right. And uh, so this July, Reflective, we're post uh, the holidays of uh, 4th of July and 7-Eleven, Free Slurpee Day. Oh, yeah. So we've moved on into midsummer. Uh, how you living, man? What what callback topics are you uh, thinking about this week? Uh, well, I'm thinking about like a lot of Trump stuff, and I'll probably more save it for the Trump segment because it kind of interlaces into like the bigger topics we should talk about. So, actually, I don't have any general callbacks this week, which is weird, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, it's been an interesting week. Uh, congratulations today, early this morning, to France winning the World Cup. So call back to my discussion of the World Cup earlier episode. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the tournament did f- finalize today, France versus Croatia. Uh, it started out 1-1. It mm. seemed like it was going to be a, a tight-fought game, and then uh, France kind of opened up with some scoring. Oh. So final score, I believe, was 3-1. to one. Wow. France taking their second title in the history of the tournament, uh, third time playing in the final, so they're 2-3. and three. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And uh, first time winning not at home. Oh. They won Paris in 98 in in France. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, shout out to them. And then I guess other callbacks on the topics that uh, we have. You know, the the immigration crisis continues, Mm -hmm. both in the abroad sense of refugees coming from different countries and in the local sense in our kind of political spectrum and looking at these detention centers. And and it's it's interesting because meanwhile this uh SCOTUS pick goes on as well. Yeah, yeah, that was gonna be one of the main issues that I talked about in the main show. And and that's gonna you know, that has a lot I mean, there's real chances Roe v. Wade gets re looked at and possibly overturned. Mm-hmm. There's possibilities about all kinds of different uh Supreme Court decisions that, that could 
really get into flux under a very specifically conservative court. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting looking at that and trying to kind of discuss these social issues. And, you know, if if Democrats don't pick up ground in the 2018 election, uh, this 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 is becoming a bit of a lost cause, you know, mm-hmm. with the rampant amount of power they have and the and the and the lack of checks, essentially the checks and balance system begins to deteriorate when you get one party over a long period of time controlling all interests. So. Yeah, I don't think our founding fathers designed our system of government to factor in for a two-party system. Yeah, I think it uh, originally it thought there would be different minority parties. Mm-hmm. And I think in a country at the time of like 3 million people, that probably made sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, now in a country of 350 million, uh, especially with people basically being emailed their beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. like they're they're kind of picking and choosing from a set series of whatever information they're gathering. But it's usually in the form of Facebook ads, emails from relatives, you know, like that's how political discourse works in this country right now. Yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily Fox say News. that. Um, that is true. But even if we go all the way back to like the first elections of our democracy, it was... Um, the Democratic Republicans versus the Federalists. So there have a lot of times been well, two been disparate ideals battling st- against each other in political discourse. There was always two strong parties, but there were additional parties. I think people at the time thought what the original Populist Party or the Whigs or uh, the Reform Party, uh, eventually even you could say to a discussion, the uh, Bull Moose Party uh, and then General Independent Party. Uh, all of them, I think, I think, the founding fathers might have thought would have a greater strength of appeal and, and traction in in an election base. I, th- I don't think they saw the continued permanence of a two party system. Mm. Um, I, I they definitely were evident of uh, what system was kind of happening. That it was definitely there were two parties that were strong that mm-hmm. were the most the strongest in the in the nation, and. Washington himself famously said, beware of partisan politics. Yeah. Because he didn't like the looks of the John Adams-Thomas Jefferson election. So, uh, and and honestly, when you research that, it's 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 kind of runs right hand in hand with the Trump-Hillary campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's dirty, it's underhanded, and most of what's printed in the press is in fact. So... Uh, Propaganda is a useful tool in trying to change people's minds. Yeah. So, you know, let's just remember that when we're getting in those voting booths, how important it is to to create at least some checks in the discussion so that people are having conversations and not just going kind of willy nilly on some uh, agenda and and not really uh, observing the, the changes that our country goes through and like the, the importance of, of legal abortion. I mean, one of the most Catholic nations in the world, Ireland, just completely legalized abortion mm-hmm. and here we are we're supposed to be the you know secular free-minded country it depends that, on who you ask and we're uh yeah we're going backwards on that potentially so ah yes as always our lovely uplifter category fun segment <laughs> but before we head out of the callback segment <laughs> i just want to say that when it comes to voting one of the reasons why changing it from first pass to post is a part of my political platform is because that style of voting kind of enforces a two-party system. 
Uh, and if we want to stay away from it, we have to look at other methods of voting. The one that I always tout the most, I guess it has my own mini callback within callbacks, is uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, but, you know, there's there that's always there. So if people really want to see more of their voices heard, like the Libertarian Party or the Green Party yeah. or any of the other smaller ones, uh, yeah, you get the, get the vote out there to change the way we vote and how we vote and, you know, more people's voices might be heard. But that's only one small fraction of the complete yeah. gestalt problem. Right, that, that or typical parliamentary procedure, like if you switch to that, which obviously you never could because we're so stuck in... I, we're we're stuck in, in former ideals, meaning current ideals. And so it's like, oh, we made this brand new democracy. That's amazing. And then the rest of the like history of that country is like, you have to accept and honor only this democracy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird because it's like, you know, people evolve, democracy evolves. And parliament definitely allows for some political discourse of minority parties. And to the best situation, uh, concession in the form usually of... Uh, um, what do you call them? Collective governments. Mm -hmm. So, so multiple parties kind of coming together in, in order to defeat an, another, maybe also large segment of the population, and kind of having to yield to those minority parties creates uh, a real give and take element of powers that be and powers that could be mm -hmm. in parliamentary uh, nations. So, you know, and I know that's like that's that's kind of one of the quintessential hippie liberal kind of things. It's like, oh, you you. Modern socialists just trying to dismantle our country, you know, <laughs> and and that's like 100 percent not the case. Like like I'm kind of patriotic in the sense that I don't want to watch my country go down a road that would be offensive and completely uh, perpendicular to what our uh, intended path has ever been mm -hmm. as a nation, as I've ever described, which was, you know, not judgmental understanding of everyone's culture and, and race and religion and being able to develop and, and innovate because of the masses that come here and, and lend their energy and work and ideas. And that's what makes our country. And in order to protect that, I want the systems and the, and the legality kind of organization in place to reflect a innovative, growing, changing d dynamic and not be this stale old follow this model or it's you're with us or against us and especially when it's framing good ideas as negative or framing socially positive things like immigration as negative in the form of you know they're taking your jobs they're the ones doing all the raping and killing and all these other kind of trump-esque kind of uh phrases and, and and ideas so with that in mind I, I think our callback segment is uh, vote, have your voice heard, discuss it with your community and your neighbors. If it gets too heated, walk away, drop, change the subject. But mm -hmm. we need to attempt these dialogues in respectful ways to try and find out what are common goals and things that we can kind of mend these fences. Because going in the divergent direction, the polarity direction that we've been on for the last 25, 30 years, if it continues the rhetoric that it's going in, we know that it leads to civil war. We know that it eventually leads to kind of like such violent discourse that even if it's not an official like army versus army, it's it's going to be, you know, kind of guerrilla tactic ideals. You know, they're going to continue to attack symbols of social and program change. <clears throat> And we're going to continue to demonize them in our media mm -hmm. for their practices and beliefs. And so between those two, 
if that rhetoric continues and the political act of violence becomes the the choice and weapon, then then you just you basically have this unrest. It's like an ongoing chaotic civil war, which is a lot of the civil wars we see in other countries that are much smaller than us. And we don't even really define them as civil wars because they don't, like I said, have military and armies lining up on each other. But it's the it starts with the disintegration of the belief in the government system and what's going on for the people to basically ignore whatever the government signals are and fight amongst each other. Um, we just we just haven't had it here for so long, mostly because we kind of create a police state. And so there's no real uprising on either side. Yeah, and plus war has changed since the Civil War. Like, war in the 1800s isn't the same as war now. Yeah, and I don't mean the Civil War when I say a Civil War. Like, mm-hmm. a Civil War is... Oh, no, is, I took that from you saying two armies lining up against each other. Yeah. People don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. But some people in, in a method, like, if it wasn't for the designation of Sunni and Shiite, I don't think they would have called it an Iraqi Civil War. But because they were able to, like define these uh characteristics they're like they went ahead and said it even though anyone that studies culture knows those those ideology based distinctions say nothing because the the people themselves are identical they're they you know they have the same genetic makeup they have the same uh heritage and right and length of time in the land and devotion to a very similar religion mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and you know but then other times where we just have kind of like chaotic strife um in places kind of like i would say like crimea chechnya or all those things it's not really a civil war even though uh two different ideologies are battling each other and i think in my in my mind that is a civil war and so if 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 our ideal ideological difference parties uh, come to violent blows at some point in my mind, it's a framework of a civil war. And the basis on that, I guess, is most of them. It's the per- most preventable form of war because you have the people who are the, the most closely related. They must have the closest ties and the closest like common ground capability if they really pay attention. Um and they need to like find those instead of turning to the uh, extremes, because that's I mean this all really boils down to extremists. Extremists on the left are are, are you know doing some kind of crazy shit too. Like explain who extremists on the left are. So an extremist on the know. left, not like not like in the term that you hear on like Fox News and all those like, but like an extremist on the left would be somebody who refuses to allow other people who aren't necessarily conducting themselves in a way that is like racially biased or, or against any culture or anything, but have certain strong opinions and uh, still like tell them and deliver to them the message that if you don't fall in line with certain beliefs and they can run from anything from environmentalism, uh, you know, spending of money on social programs, uh, amount of time you spend in church beliefs, and all these types of things. If we're not on the left being just as generous to the dialogue structure and allowing a respect in between and the differences, then in a way, argumentatively, we're we're just as bad because we're not actually giving the threshold necessary for solution. 
And and even if you demonize the behaviors on the other side, if you're not creating a threshold that allows for them to come over, you're not creating a uh, uh, in like a, an actual open dialogue discussion, then you know you're 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 also part of the problem. That being I, said, I kind of agree with that. But the one stipulation I would give it is you have to make sure the subject matter is a valid subject matter to talk about. Like, yeah, genocide it, isn't something that you want to find a middle ground on. No, 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 it wouldn't be at all. Um, no, no, and I and I think I think like that, and I guess that kind of goes back to my idea of like the crossover of of people that are just from the same place. That I think moralistically, Americans who identify as Americans, no matter what side of the political coin they're on or spectrum, if you want to use that term, because I think politics is definitely more of a spectrum today than it's ever been. And uh, um, where you fall on that line could change day to day and based on power struggle that's going on in the the system. Um, But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. The 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 point I guess I'm making is uh if if someone on your block doesn't compost, for instance, mm-hmm. allow them that. <laughs> yeah, but feel free to discuss why you feel composting is is good important to do and something they should do, but yeah. don't attack them. Eh, I don't know how I feel about you like necessarily vilifying them. Well, is it because that's that's kind of like where that line starts to blur? Yeah. But like, or don't demonize them for not um, composting. Yeah. But some things ought to get demonized because we don't want them a part of our society. Correct. Yeah. Or yeah, and that goes back, you know, in, in a callback-ish way to to or talk about taboos and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just saying that. If you if you if you stay because extremism is is the key kind of word here um, the the and 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 if you talk to any you're you're asking for specific examples and I'm not I'm not going to be able to out trot out like names or descriptions or things I'm just I'm talking rhetoric terms and how when they get pushed to their limits uh, rhetoric on all different ends of the spectrum if they're mm-hmm. at the extreme side they actually begin to resemble each other. Because they start to cancel out any other uh, side dialogue or belief and the other thing. It's this or this or this or this. It's nothing else. And then they also start talking about how how they want to deal with it. It does lean towards on the political. When you study political spectrum, violence becomes the option. Uh, more uh, like used more often on the extreme angle than a moderate. Like a moderate's goal isn't to hurt you. Right. And so for a moderate to choose violence as their action is is rare. It would it would literally be mm-hmm. in maybe I guess in the form of facing an extremism that was violent that they felt they had a response, a fascist. Right. So I actually want to segue to this into something cuz I like this dialogue, but I can think that a lot of listeners would wonder how are you labeling this extremism and I want to transition it into America is a mindfuck by bringing up the anti-Antifa bill that came up. Because I feel like a lot of people from different dialogues and discussions and posts I've seen that would count Antifa as one of those on-the-left extremists. 
and because they're always at the rallies with unite the right and things like that that end up in violence that they use that as a predication that they're the ones causing the violence so and that's kind of like where my worry about equating extremism on each side without talking about the content of the extremism and and i would say antifa itself is probably on a spectrum Oh, yeah, they definitely You know are. what I mean? Because I think <clears throat> on the extreme side of Antifa, you basically have anarchists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and so, and that's not like right-wing propaganda. That's real. There are people that are just breaking windows in Starbucks and things because they're like, fuck Starbucks. We're yeah. having this rally about immigration, but at the same time, fuck Starbucks. It's a window. Right. And so, but, but even if it's not a window, what if it's glass and there's people behind it on the other side? Like... It's not that's mm-hmm. no, you don't get to just toss out, uh, you know, private owned property because, you know, the importance of the rally. No, see, that's 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 blurring the lines in a way. We have laws, though, like they'll get arrested. Yeah. But what I'm saying is some of that behavior is is permitted within the organization in the sense that it's an answer to the extremism on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I'm the ends justify the means. And but that in my mind is kind of where extremism begins to lose its credibility when it when it's choosing these options. So I would say the best moves of Antifa are the gathering of the people, the trying to singularize a voice towards certain like aimed goals, and then also uh, the capability of of connecting to those people and kind of evolving which struggle is the kind of next front line for that. I think that organization has been uh, really like good at that and also is part of the resistance movement that is creating um, a dialogue in this country to some degree. What I also disagree with, though, is um, the kind of like it's okay for some of these violent behaviors, but not others. And then, and, and that, that's, that's the blurred line that I get a little, I get a little nervous about. And I do think, I don't think Antifa's population is heavily leaning on the extreme side. They're probably Mm -hmm. 99.9%. You know, I recycle and I live in Southeast Portland and Mm -hmm. I'm also a member of Antifa. Uh, You know, but there is a Antifa is just anti-fascist and everybody should be anti-fascist. Right. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. There's a collective once you once you create a collective and you have a moniker like that, even if there was a, like a baseline to why that word was chosen, your 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 organization becomes a thing of itself, an entity. So beyond the concept of anti-fascism, there is antifa. And that's that's just like beyond the concept of fascism, there are Nazis. Uh, it's an organization. It's a it's a type of fascism in a mm-hmm. way. It's a brand. It's Gucci, except for <laughs> not as popular with the trap music culture. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, and Nazi gang, Nazi gang, Nazi gang, Nazi gang. Oh yeah, my see, that god! That would not be good. Wow. That wouldn't be a good song. <laughs> That's why Little Pump did not put that song out. Yeah, nah, 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 nah not Nazi gang. Nah, not nah, Nazi we gang. good on that one. Oh man, right. There but, probably already is a left mm-hmm. or a right uh, <laughs> left. But I, I bring this up because, like, the fact that there is someone who presented a law. Uh, or, yeah, presented a bill that could become law that is specifically identifying Antifa without looking at, you know, the extremism on the right 
and that extremism being based on genocide and you know white supremacy and everything the hegemony has and they're trying to say like but we're the victims here um like it's it's disturbing to say the least yeah no that's bad but i mean uh I don't mean but. I mean, that's bad. But it's going to happen because if they consider them an opponent, unfortunately, politics is all about eliminating opponents. Mm-hmm. And if that's an opposing voice and it's getting like traction and people are following it, then, of course, they're going to direct their aim at it. Um, you know, that's that's where I think, you know, Antifa, first of all, as a concept you're not going to be able to eliminate it. So in that sense, their connection to the concept of anti-fascism makes them, you know, untouchable in a way because that concept is just forever going to exist. Uh, But as an organization, you know, it'll probably go through some of the same trials and tribulations that the Black Panther movement went through. Yeah, but I think it's wrong to classify Antifa as an organization. I think it's a collection of ideals, not a group of people who meet as an organization. So you don't think there's anybody that considers themselves an organizer for Antifa? No, I think there's people who organize for groups that are affiliated with anti-fascism. Okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah, because I think I so think that, saying that uh, gives the media, which we were a part of, uh, the ability to uh, gestalt and lump together something that is uh, diverse in the way that they think, and vilify them by just strawmanning them as a, a group of things. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's really interesting. So I started podcasting in 2011, October. Mm-hmm. And the very first day I started uh, podcasting was the uh, March that started the Portland uh, experience of the Occupy movement. Oh, yeah. So Occupy Wall Street had been going on for probably about 13 days or something. And, uh, and then um, Portland decided to do a march. And in solidarity, they camped out in two parks for about mm-hmm. 61 days or something. And it was uh, it was an interesting growing movement. The day we <clears throat> launched the podcast, uh, one of our guests was late because he had to get through the crowds to get to uh, where we're recording. Oh, wow. And and then he's like, hey, man, I just went through this like rally. And so immediately the kind of free form style of our podcast, we, we just accepted the, the discussion to change to that. Uh-huh. And so what, it, what was happening with Occupy sounds a lot like Antifa in the ideals and lack of actual administrative organization, you know, mm-hmm. and, a, and a, a collection of similar ideas, but um, not all ideas uh, being the same necessarily. Some, <clears throat> some varied interests. People were going to fight Wall Street because stock market is corrupt. People were trying to fight Wall Street because it represents banks and they think banks are corrupt. People mm-hmm. were trying to fight Wall Street because they hate corporations. They think corporations are ruling our lives and keeping us indoctrinated and in different ways in the system of poverty. And then people were fighting against Wall Street because they're also anarchists and they're like, this is a piece of the puzzle. Fucking burn it down. Mm-hmm. There were people that were part of it that just thought this is part of the left political movement, that this is a rally to unite Democrats. And they were actually certain politicians that showed up that thought, oh, this is a total thing, even though, you know, other people who lived in the area started looking at it as just a bunch of people camping in a park, ruining a public space. Yeah, and that happens a lot with protesters and a lot of things. Yeah, and so, you know, the dynamics of that remind me of that. And so I'm I'm not against... Antifa in any fashion. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just the one 
person because I'm super moderate and super centrist when it comes to admitting an ideal or admitting uh, a change that, you know, requires so much animosity and argument to it as opposed to just kind of the natural course of things, which is in a lot of ways what libertarians ultimately want. But I get I get against their values a lot because they create these kind of systems of like user fees and all these things that in a political mindset it's really too complicated the reason we have kind of taxes based on the way we have taxes is mm -hmm. it's kind of the easiest way to to manipulate the finances of a of a of an of a system that's going to need to provide roads and airports and all these different things and the user fees kind of depending on people to oh i pay for the roads i use it doesn't it doesn't it kind of falls through uh pretty quickly uh, but that being said, as a centrist, I just don't <clears throat> want a, a country that, you know, we have to just keep taking these giant pendulum swings and that we can't find some type of middle ground in a way that can keep us from being so violently swayed. Because basically the way the right looked at it, we had eight years of Obama and now they're using Trump to like dismantle that. And it's amazing how fast and efficient they've been. I mean, they've almost dismantled the eight years of social program change to in some degree, but in like two years. I mean, it's it, I mean, that's two years in. That's all I'm saying, man. Yeah. Like we're two they've years done a in. lot. But from some of the podcasts that I've listened to and the political research I've heard, it's surface level stuff, but it's not like the deep integral stuff. Yeah, but that takes time. So I, I I'm yeah, I'm fearful for all of it. But then again, if we get into a point where we spend the next eight years developing and, and pushing this super hyper conservative agenda, you know, there is a, a, eventually theoretically uh, given constraints and whatnot being the same as they are i mean i guess technically republicans could make it harder mm -hmm. for elections to to go a, a way that would would lean towards left uh gerrymandering uh um choosing where the different um what electoral ballot votes go based on uh you know migration of populations which is supposed to be based on the census but the interpretation of that can be very varied uh and so all those things, you know, it's it's but it's a dream state. The the reason the centrist doesn't exist, the reason there's no centrist party mm -hmm. is because when push comes to shove and you make a centrist make a real decision, uh, they end up leaning left or right. Yeah, because you have to. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, I pretty much check off most of the time the the left box, like I would say more than 90 percent of the time. So, um it uh it it's it's an interesting value system to be in the perspective that I'm at mm -hmm. because I'm don't want to be like what you're saying is clarifying an organization that clearly isn't uh have a head it's just kind of a movement and political party the the Black Panther movement while similar did have an organization structure mm -hmm. and those were the people that were pretty much immediately tortured killed yeah they jailed. they had a manifesto yeah and yeah. they worked towards that manifesto but, but I'm going to say with this legislation you're talking about uh, it's definitely going to identify people that they consider organizational heads. So, exactly. So yeah. those people are going to be in danger, and and that's the the reality of this fight is even nonviolent measures can get people's lives changed. Like we could end up with people going to jail and stuff, and that doesn't mean to stop the movement. I'm just saying it is one of the costs of this is mm -hmm. eventually, um, you know, people people don't really think there's political prisoners in. 
the United States, but uh, they very much are. Um, they're just uh, classified as criminals, and then you get arrested for that. So, uh, yeah. So this is HR six zero five four unmasking uh, the Antifa Act of two thousand eighteen. It was brought forth by Daniel M. Donovan Jr. It wasn't future. He's always about mask off. <laughs> Um, he is a, a congressperson from New York State, District 11. Uh, and let me see. Is there a summary? I'm looking at this on congress.gov. There is no summary, so I will read. Uh, let me see. So from Section 1, short title, this act may be cited as the Unmasking Antifa Act of uh, 2018. Section 2, um, interference with protected rights when in disguise. Uh, um, a in general chapter 13 title 8 of the united states code amended by asserting after section 249 the following uh i'll read this section and then we can move along interference with protected rights while in disguise in general who whoever whether or not acting under a color of law while in disguise including while wearing a mask injures oppresses threatens or intimidates any person in any state territory commonwealth possession or district in the free exercise of enjoyment of any right or privilege secured by him to him by the constitution of laws of the united states or because of his having exercised the same shall be fined under this title imprisoned for not more than 15 years or both wow yeah well, yeah yeah, that's pretty fucking serious. Damn. That that means if you go to any Unite the Right rally, and that's the thing, because if you if you go like calling back to Charlottesville, like all anti a lot of Antifa folks come out in mass to protect their identity and such. Yeah. But you know, people at the Unite the Right rally don't cover themselves up. So you know, just to see that implication in there, based on you know how both sides come out. You can see, yeah, we already know they're targeting it from the name, but they're also targeting the behavior, and that behavior is directed at one side specifically. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That's uh, it's <laughs> that might pass, man, because just because the way it's wording it, it's gonna yeah. the way and the way Republicans view legislation, they're gonna be like, well, what do you want? A bunch of masked vigilantes going around doing stuff? Nah, of course not. You want their identities out there, so whatever they say, we know who it was. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, ultimately, um, yeah, something like that probably will pass. Like it's, 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 it's going in line with a lot of the kind of world. I mean, there's, you know, there's the whole, uh, burqa thing going on in Europe where mm -hmm. certain people are, you know, they're trying to hold to their religious belief that they, they have to wear it. And other people are saying, no, you're, you're, you're don't need to wear it but also on top of that we don't want you to because there's implications from people that are in disguise and uh and then you know there's like there's technically there's laws on the books you're not allowed to wear halloween masks in the banks mm -hmm. you know and uh and and all these type things so you know i i the fear of lack of uh, identity is always out there and and i think in general especially given facial recognition software i think we're going to see the right of way of facial recognition software before we see the right of way of masking your identity um i think the general public safety is going to be the angle and it'll start in municipalities because it'll start with just like a five panel 
uh, city council that's going to mm-hmm. go in the city of Seattle. Masks are illegal outside of the blah 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 because we institute facial recognition software to keep you safe and protected. Uh, and when that happens, then you know that's kind of the, the crumbling. Yeah, if that if something like that happened, I could see a definitely a definite counter in that fight being the people who need to wear a mask outside so they don't um give you any ailments that they have or you know when there are tourists from other countries that wear masks in order to protect themselves from uh different things that are happening yeah well yeah no i mean well yeah you're gonna have probably the medical mask is gonna be like the extent of it and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's that's just kind of my view on how I think we're evolving with that technology and our impi- opinion of it. But at the same time, you know, there's there's all kinds of masks. You know, there's people that are the you, and it's you, you see the tropes in the movies. You know, mm-hmm. people that are dealing with toxic waste wear full body suits. People that are in yeah. certain parts of construction and demolition use full body suits. You know, and those are going to be common. You know, where they gonna <laughs> Ah, I went to go get a sandwich and I left my mask on when I left the workplace and now I'm in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> ultimately, uh, yeah, if you ask a libertarian or, or somebody on certain parts of the far left, uh, you wouldn't have any of these laws. So why would you continue to, to, to create restrictions on people's freedoms, essentially? Yeah. So, you know, and that's always been the argument in, in our country has been um, allowing enough uh, freedom for people to feel uh, engaged and like connected to this pursuit of happiness. Uh, but then also certain restrictions in order to basically, you know, keep the masses somewhat not contained, but also like behaving essentially, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and we took a lot of our kind of nods from Greek and Roman behaviors during their empires. So, uh, that's kind of why we kind of hit the ground running with this. As much as we created the first quote-unquote kind of for-the-people democracy, uh, there was a lot of evidence of the pieces in the puzzle that we put together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're still facing it. I I, I just hope that um, through education and and proper discourse, we can start kind of bringing the extremes down a little bit and and start meeting more in the middle and at least having arguments that are about you know finance and cost of things and how we should go about infrastructure rebuilding and not these kind of social decisions about you know what what is an immigrant what is a legal citizen what is a good race you know mm-hmm. like it's like wait what yeah cuz yeah that's not that's not that's not where we're at and 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 you know it too because anybody that has those views and values, if it gets too close to them, if they have a gay cousin, mm-hmm. if they find out they were dad was half black and they didn't know it, and if they find out that they um, actually are Jewish, you know, or all these mm-hmm. different mo- things that certain parts of the right claim to not really be uh, parts of their doctrine, but through practice and and activities, clearly is. Uh, you you, you kind of hear them skirt those questions and issues because when something becomes closer to you, you recognize the lack of real difference. And for some reason, it's this ability for people to distance themselves from from each other and their neighbors and the differences that allows them these kind of bubbles that they can they move without fact. 
And I guess that's where I think discourse and education come in is because over time, the generations can change because the people can get access to the information and we can all at least be working on factual to factual basis. Because mm -hmm. I was talking to this because it's, it's, it's a real struggle to try and discuss something with somebody who is valued things that don't need like scientific rigorous testing. And so... You know, someone will try to talk to you about aliens. And aliens are a cool topic. We can totally talk about aliens. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the proof of evidence stuff where it's like, no, this is this. And I go, well, what if that was this? They go, no, it's this. And that's why there's aliens. You're like, okay. And then these type people who are like, the earth is flat. And you go, well, mm -hmm. all these reasons and things why that's not true. Nope, it is. It's flat. You've never been to space. So, ha. Huh. And, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, it's political struggle. Oh, you know, Hillary's killing people. Hillary killed all these people. We can't, you know, lock her up, you know, and you're like, oh, well, she didn't really, you know, kill anybody, but, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, well, all these immigrants are coming over and taking our jobs. Meanwhile, nobody picked the fruit in California that rotted on the vine. So those were a bunch of jobs that were available that for some reason, nobody wanted to be a, uh, farm laborer. So a bunch of those jobs went, uh, unused this year and we basically rotted a good like tenth or something of our crop load from the southern california produce market because they had too much difficulty hiring the workers that wanted to work it because their documentation may or may not have been accurate or um on time or they were passed a visa and so instead of being able to hire those people and have them work out the documentation later uh the fruit rotted so yeah, they're not taking your jobs uh, because you didn't want them. They were just there. And so that's Southern California where there's a, you know, economy crisis as far as like getting affordable housing and all that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people should have should have taken those jobs, but they didn't. Uh, and, and then they're not only taking those jobs. You know, people are coming over here from other countries, educating themselves, learning English, getting professorships. They're designing drugs. They're getting into different types of debate and conversations and political stuff that we're dealing with now. We're seeing a rise in uh, immigrant-born uh, people running for state office now to try and deal with these issues as people that have gotten citizenship through legal manners and want to fight for those that have a non-legal status in their mind. Uh, and this is all framing of it. You know, it's how you frame it. If you frame it in the, you can't tell me no way different. Everyone who's brown that comes here from the South is taking jobs. That's not an argument. And you're not giving room for the reality and the facts on the actual ground. Uh, and that's kind of where the framing argument style of, of this debate comes in. And, you know, we on the left, we have to be able to frame it in accurate ways. Like I said, don't yell at the neighbor that's not composting. Uh, don't frame your, your belief in environmentalism in that manner. That person is making a decision, and at some degree, that decision isn't actually hurting directly a citizen. There's not an actual crime being committed. You got to give them that. Like, sometimes you have to give people these things. People shoot guns when they're a certain, you know, distance away from a neighborhood because it's legal to shoot them. Mm -hmm. you know and they'll pick a spot and then they shoot them all day and they shoot them till you know 7 30 at night and people in that neighborhood go around and probably are like it's really loud and it's annoying and it's kind of like jarring to hear gunshots in the distance you know but based on our laws based on this country if it's a legal area you gotta let them do it it's still gonna be bothersome 
but it's something we have to allow based on the system that we have now and the laws that we have on the books. And there's all kinds of these type of behaviors that are uncomfortable that to some degree you have to allow. And then there's the other types of behaviors that are more than uncomfortable. They're threatening, they're uh, you know, imposing on people's right to be themselves and, and be free of uh, persecution and judgment by somebody on the random for no reason. And, you know, those situations need to be dealt with um, through different means, you know, possibly involving law enforcement, possibly involving types of um, restraining and orders and all that. But, but these framing arguments is the key. And if we can start to at least have the right frame their arguments in ways that are, like, accurate and using facts, we can start to debate this. And maybe we can bring a few of them around and we can start kind of working in a two-party system where both parties have the same ideas in a way. They just have different goals how to get there. And, and that's the kind of argument that I like because I don't think there's a perfect way and I don't think there's a, uh, a direct route to pursuit of happiness. I think it's a meandering river style approach. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind the push and pull occasionally, but it can't be so violent, the pendulum swing, where you're hitting the edge of the clock and then swinging all the way. You're gonna Have you met America? No, and America is that way, yeah. And that's what, but, but we, what do we do to change that? Because if we keep the pendulum swing, we're gonna break out of this clock and the clock's gonna stop running, mm. you know? So it's gotta be a controlled swing to some degree. Uh, yeah. You know, that or aliens exist and they come down and fix it for us. <laughs> so uh, that's that. I guess for my uh, my light topic this week, I'm going to talk about the, the love and, and devotion to the float life. Man, I love floating. First of all, floating is the act of finding something that you fill with air. You get on it in a <laughs> body of water and you just chill. Yeah. If the body of water is a river, you typically need to have an entry point and an exit point kind of mapped out because it's real hard to like walk 20 miles carrying a giant floating inner tube in the mm -hmm. shape of a donut. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the best way is to have a group of people with two cars. That way you can ferry people from the exit point and the entry point. Yep. You can go in several of those. Or you can do kind of what I do in the local area, which is the lake float. So you get a bunch of these uh, <clears throat> devices that can float and you fill them all up and you get your whole group of friends and you swim out, pushing them out into the middle of the lake and you just chill and you kind of float there until it pushes you towards one of the shores and then you walk back around the lake to where you parked. That's a great way to do it. As always, if people don't know how to swim, definitely use your life vest and use your best judgment not to drown out there. That's a very bad part of swimming, you know, so you got to stay away from that. But go have fun enjoy the float life contemplate life see the clouds pick out shapes you know and uh and it's one of the kind of miracles of summer is the nice kind of relaxing heat and and i think a good float is a way to enjoy it uh best parts of the float obviously they have novelty floats so mm. if you want to float on a giant alligator float on a giant alligator if you want to float on a giant donut flamingo float on it and the same company makes a giant white unicorn so if you want to have up to three to four people on the same one you get one of the big ones yeah and they even have different things where it's legal in your state you maybe you can bring adult beverages if you're over the age of 21 those are fun out on the water 
uh, and uh, maybe give your hand a little fishing if you get into that, if you like that, or just uh, chill and uh, pick out the clouds like I do. Float life. It's uh, it's in a neighborhood near you mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and yeah, I guess you can also do the ocean, but the ocean it just keeps kind of like pushing you back into the to the the beach. It's not quite as relaxing, but uh, but give it a go if uh, if the ocean is the is the only spot you got. Yeah, and let's not forget you lucky ducks that have pools in their backyard can just do it there. Float pool status not that bad actually. Yeah, and uh, plenty of uh, good deals on floats online. Or your local big box store probably's got a few on the shelf. They're super fun. Uh, I, I I suggest you do it. I, I lately I've been using the uh, dry bag, and so I put a Bluetooth speaker in a dry bag. Dry bag keeps the wet out, hence <laughs> the name. Mm-hmm. And it also is it holds a, a pocket of air, so it floats. And I just attach it to my tube, and then I have a waterproof phone case that I put my phone in. And then my phone connects to the Bluetooth speaker, and I got tunes. Nice. Rocking out there. Yeah. Yeah. Drake God's plan. Because <laughs> it's God's plan for me to be floating in the middle of the summer. Uh-oh. So God's plan. Uh, with that, Chaz, is there any last pieces of uh, information you want to give out to our listeners? I mean, we've gone this whole podcast without talking about the Supreme Court pick. Which oh. seems weird. All right. What's your opinions on uh, SCOTUS pick? How and did it go down? Has it been uh, fully uh, accepted and it's moving forward? Or is, is it just been the president's nomination at this point? It's the president's nomination. And he picked up Brett Kavanaugh. And he's been speaking with folks on Capitol Hill and such. And from like my research, from listening to the various uh, news shows and such, the right loves him to some degree. They they have some minor criticism of him, depending on like which avenue of the right you're talking about. Yeah, he definitely was on that scale we were talking about last week. He's uh on the furthest right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the left, they have some reasonable concerns. Uh, but I feel like some of the more hyper hyperbolic pundits on the right will look at those concerns as like they're crazy or delusional or why the f would you even think that. Uh, so let me see. So the ones that I wrote down in my notes is opposed to the consumer consumer protection bureau and corporate accountability, which is a big thing that people who are progressive want to see. And also a big thing that Obama did, uh, when the economic crash happened in 2009, 2008. Uh, another one, it says, he says that net neutrality violates the first amendment. So like with, even though net neutrality is no longer a thing anymore unless it's within your state that has built something to enact it again. If it ever went to the national court and he was on it, it probably would have a harder time of winning. Um, and, you know, he hits the the big things with being uh, a clerk to Kennedy. He has a really long line of being interwoven with republicanism as just through his jobs like he used to work for uh the bush administration the second bush administration he was really big on attacking bill clinton when it came to his monica Lewinsky scandal uh, but i think one of the biggest things uh that we should be concerned about well i guess there's two uh, in the abortion realm, he did uh, render something in an abortion case where an immigrant wanted to get an abortion. And he said that 
the government shouldn't do it because it's against what the government thinks moralistically. And the other one is, he says, presidents should be shielded from a criminal and a civil investigation while in office. And yeah. And and on the spectrum last week, he definitely is listed as the uh, furthest right tied with Raymond Kethledge, who was one of the finalists uh, that we talked about, as well as Thomas Hardiman, which was further to the left, closer to Kennedy, the vacancy that is opened. And uh, Amy Coney didn't have enough information, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, to distinguish her between the spectrum. But uh, Brett Kavanaugh also, yeah, the Bush insider was the description that the the uh, article gave for him last time, and that he actually clerked for Anthony Kennedy at the same time as Gorsuch did, uh, which is interesting, being that Gorsuch is uh, Trump's previous nomination to the Supreme Court and accepted member. Um, but yeah, and I guess apparently he also was on the Kenneth Starr independent counsel into uh bill and hillary clinton's whitewater situation oh okay. so uh yeah i think trump would dig that right and digging up dirt on hillary it's one of his favorite pastimes so yeah uh it's gonna be interesting uh based on kind of our understanding and the makeup of the uh legislation unless you know being that the filibuster rule has already been removed uh pretty much this uh is gonna be uh accepted and we'll probably be serving on the court sometime after the fall well maybe so it, there there is the the fifty one forty nine split but it's it's fifty now because of John McCain like we mentioned earlier still battling cancer um and there there are swing boats there are the three uh democratic senators from red states. So it's a question of uh, will they go against them because they have democratic values or will they go for them because they want to get reelected in their red states? Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that I was hearing was that even the capability of the Democrats getting their full roster on board is pretty not going to happen. And so then it becomes not only getting a couple Republicans, but getting some to fill the gaps of mm-hmm. some dims you might not be able to convince. So it's an uphill battle. It's not completely impossible, and it's not completely unheard of. And uh, given the Trump presidency to date, anything can happen between now and November, and they sh- really should be finishing this up September, October. And if you got any type of stay on that at all, you might get an election. You might get a a, a chance that the, the, the nomination isn't confirmed before uh Congress reconvenes with a new class in January, but that's pretty uh, hail mary, um, covered by eleven guys. One guy's got to catch the ball, kind of situation. But uh, yeah, and I also think that we haven't had any of the hearings yet, and we'll definitely have a better understanding of how each of the senators feel about him based on the questions they ask him and what responses they get from it. Because we still haven't heard a clear statement of him from. Uh, from what he feels about abortion. And I also heard some really strong criticism towards him about the first thing that he said out to the American people that Donald Trump consulted a long list of people and did like a really good job um, in doing that. And he tried to make it sound like it was an impartial process, even though the Federalist Society just said, here's a list, choose from it, okay? Yeah. So like if that's the first impression that you want to make on the American people, it's kind of bullshit in some sense. Yeah. So I hope more and more people call him out on that. Um, I heard that one specifically from the weeds 
but a lot of the other you know especially more of the right-leaning ones they've praised him they talk about like where he validates certain things within their uh political platform and also how it seems to be kind of crazy that they think that he'll be the one to um overturn Roe versus Wade but then I've also heard criticisms where like you can't just like go hey Roe versus Wade isn't law anymore go back to the states uh where more be uh, because there would be a high percentage of right-leaning justices on the supreme court when more and more cases that deal with abortion in very micro senses uh those small micros will chip away at it to make a macro that'll be effectively taking away roe v wade so that's kind of like where the long-term concern of that is yeah yeah precedent is a bitch uh (laughs) Yeah, so so it'll be interesting. And I remember a minor callback to myself when we were talking about Neil Gorsuch. And I was like, this one is supposed to be the moderate pick. So whatever you think you want to do, Democrats, save it for the next pick. Uh, well, Thomas next- Hardiman was more moderate than him. Yeah. I mean, What I mean is, like, based on, like, the, the whole gestalt of his political views, he was still right-leaning, but he was closer to the center than... This one is Kavanaugh. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Hardiman was closer to the. No, same. no. I'm talking about Neil Gorsuch's. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's closer. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Not not the Kavanaugh. Okay. Yeah. So now that Kavanaugh's here, I was like, whatever you think you want to do. I know that the filibuster is technically not legal, but hey, you can break the rules if you want to. They won't like it, but yeah. you can break the rules. Well, the Dems shot themselves in the foot because they're the ones that eliminated it with the previous nomination when they had power. So yeah. Oh well. Yeah. What are you gonna do? I don't know. I don't think. And and right. where's I, Merrick Garland? Right. Where and and it? they really <clears throat> fucked themselves over when they said it and didn't have to be a supermajority anymore. Yeah. Right. Like I don't. I don't know. Well, I guess they they never thought of it as a double edged sword, but it is. Like when you have the majority and you don't have a supermajority, you're just like I got the power, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. But what happens when that absolute power is a sword being used by the enemy? Then you're like, oh shit. So. Yeah. No, that ended up. Yeah, that was a real problem. So I guess this all. A lot of people think that then makes this Harry Reid's fault because he was Democratic leader at the time mm-hmm, but, uh, mm-hmm. we shall see uh the world is collapsing at our feet but we'll still be here talking about it and if you want to participate in the conversation go ahead and send us an email to hylbox at gmail.com that's hylbox at gmail.com for free we'll uh hear what you have to say or tweet at me at Town mayor because i'm helping the municipality by the coast Right, and you can find me at uh, CRSII for personal stuff on Twitter and Chaz underscore Bass for my political stuff. And also, shout out to the Thai boys who all escaped from the cave. Forgot about that. Yeah, good job to them. Congratulations getting out. Uh, They're going to spend about seven days in the hospital. Them and the coach, all 13, plus four uh, Navy SEALs that had been with them for over a week. Congratulations. Good work on the rescue team. And uh, rest in peace to the one fallen Thai Navy member. Uh, and, uh, you know, his uh, sacrifice was not in vain. Uh, a lot of lives were saved. So, uh, you know, shout out and love to his family for the sacrifice he gave. And, uh, you know, congratulations again to France for winning the old cup. Uh, as always, I like to promote a few other podcasts. So 
definitely listen to all fantasy everything with my friends. And uh, Dan Carlin put out an episode yesterday. So oh. if, if you like the hard hit and hardcore history, oh, another hardcore history. Recognize nice. new episode, hardcore history. Break out the wine and find out why his sultry voice will tell you what happened in history. Facts that you didn't know were going to exist. I'm Dan Carlin. <laughs> uh, that and more on the internet, also for free. Uh, Chaz, it's been delight. As always, Mikkel. Appreciate it. Uh, shout out to all you who listen. Uh, much love and peace. Pocket watch it like kangaroos. Tell these clowns we ain't amused. Man, a clip for that monkey business. Four, five, got changed for you. Motorcades when we came through. Presidential with the planes too. When better get you with the residential. Undefeated with the cane too. I said no to the Super Bowl.